Hey everyone, this is Jaron Hollis with the Believer's Church. I'm so happy that you're here today. I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to this message. I pray that it inspires you, it challenges you, and it helps you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy. Good morning, good morning, Believer's Church. Man, you guys look good in the house today. You guys enjoy worship? And what I don't mean there is, did you enjoy the set list? I don't mean, did you enjoy the vocal performance? I thought the best worship I saw all day came from Kevin right there. That's the kind of worship that gets me going. When I see somebody that's willing to let go of their pride. That's willing to humble themselves before God. That's willing to lift their hands in complete surrender and say, just give me Jesus. Whew. Pull it together, Jaron. Man, it's good to have you here in the house. Look at your neighbor and say, baby, it's cold outside. It is so good to have you here in this nice warm place where we get to worship together. All right, come on, pay attention up here. Stop flirting with your neighbor. Up here, up here. It's so good to have you here, whether you belong to this church or you're a guest that will soon belong to this church. Amen. We're so glad to have you here. I'm up here because I have the honor of introducing our guest today. Uh, I have a friend that has come all the way to us here in Louisville, Kentucky from the state of Texas. You got any Texans here in the house? Anybody, anybody born, raised in Texas? You were redeemed and you got to come to Kentucky? So I met Michael Scobie, who is the man that will bring the word to you today. I met him on the other side of the world in Sri Lanka, really. I got invited to go to a missions trip. And y'all, this mission trip, it was a lot of fun. But you would think that if you got to go to the other side of the world, you'd be getting to eat all kinds of crazy cuisines and delicious foods, things that you've never tried before. Almost every single house we went to, man, these people came in with platters of KFC everywhere we went. And I was like, dear Lord, you have a sense of humor. Michael and I, we rode in little vehicles called tuk-tuks together. Uh, a little three-wheeled, if you're feeling risky enough, you can go up and down these mountains with it raining. It was crazy, y'all. So we could go into these house churches and see how these people in Sri Lanka were discipling people to follow Jesus Christ. I, I recount story after story of men and women who were leaving their Hindu and Muslim and Buddhist faiths to follow after Jesus Christ. It was amazing. And we would get in vehicle after vehicle and travel all over. And I don't know if you know this, but preachers like to talk. Right? Preachers, pastors, teachers, we like to talk. And that's kind of what you do. You put a bunch of pastors in a van, they're going to talk about pastor things. And they're going to talk a whole lot. So I'm listening to all these pastors that I'm there with. And I don't really know Michael. And I start hearing 
all these other pastors ask Michael about how his church is doing and what they're doing and what his mission is and what, is and what his vision is. And I start hearing some a, a pastor that starts talking about, well, I'm really excited that our church is growing. And he was actually on the phone some in, in, in the vans that we were riding around in talking about setting up the second campus that they just recently opened so they could have church in two locations, which is awesome. But what surprised me is when he started saying, you know, it's okay if we grow in number, but what I'm most concerned about is the health of the individual. How's the person to my right or to my left? How are the people that are leading my teams? Because it's one thing if we grow in numbers, but if we're not growing on the inside and we're not healthy mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, does any of it really matter? So then I was like, who is this man? So I started asking him all sorts of questions, and I thought, man, he has, a, he has the heart of a shepherd. He has compassion. He has wisdom. He has guidance, and I need me some of that. So we asked him to come here this weekend so that he could talk to our leaders and talk to our teams about what they're doing in Texas. And he gave us some words yesterday, man, if y'all would have been in the room, would have changed your life. So I said, you can't just come and talk to our leaders. You need to come and talk to our whole church. So Michael's going to come, and he's going to bring a word. So would you guys stand to your feet and make Michael Scobie from Houston, Texas feel welcome as he comes. Come on, make some noise. Make him feel at home. Make him feel warmly welcomed. Come on, Believer's Church. Give it up for Jesus in the house. Amen, amen, amen. Stay standing if you wouldn't mind. Uh, I want to honor the pastors of this house. Do y'all love your pastors? Yeah. Amen. The people that I know and I look up to think very highly of the people that lead this particular church. You guys are trailblazers. Pastor Randy, you, you have a legacy of people around you externally outside of Kentucky that look up to you but what better legacy than that guy standing right next to you it's so incredible to see how you lead together with unity and with passion you guys are trailblazers you're kingdom builders I look up to you I respect you I honor you and I'm honored that I get to be in your in your house today and I get to, to speak to the church that you, you're the undership for. And so what I want to do is before, we're, before we dive into the word, I want you to just stretch your hands out towards your pastor. We're going to pray for your pastors today. Pray that the Lord would strengthen them, encourage them, fill their cup. Because Lord knows they're pouring out constantly. Can you pray for your pastors? Lord, we love you and we're so thankful for the Hollis family. God, I pray that you would touch every member. God, every, every person that is involved in their family, God. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would fill their cup. You would give them great favor. That you would give them wisdom and understanding for the next steps for this church. That you would bless them indeed. Bless them indeed. Expand their territory in Jesus' name. Fill them up. Fill them up with fresh passion, fresh anointing, fresh favor, fresh vision. God, let them see exactly what you're wanting them to see. So they can run and take it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's fine. You can be seated. That's fine. That's fine. I'll let you be seated. I do want to read the word. 
and, and then we're going to pray together. Luke chapter 9, verse 10 through 17. We're going we're gonna to be in Luke chapter 9, and, and we'll, we'll change uh, chapters here. Um, but this is a story that you're very familiar with. I, I want to read this with you. This is verse 10. It says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. When they took them with him, then they took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it, and they followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. He replied, Give them something to eat. That's what some of y'all are thinking right now, right? Give them something to eat. They answered, well, we only have five loaves of bread, two fish, unless they go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. And, and, but he said to the disciples, had them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the disciples did so. And everyone sat down, taking the five loaves, two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks, broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Everybody say satisfied. They were full. Their bellies were full. They were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. 12 baskets full. I believe in that at the end of today, somebody's going to walk out with a 12 baskets full blessing in their hearts and their spirits, encouragement, full of joy when you didn't think you had it, full of healing in your body. Let me pray over you, and we're going to dive into the Word. Lord, we love you, and we're so thankful for your Word that gives us direction. That gives us help. That gives us encouragement. Lord, I surrender to what you want to say. It's your will, your way. This is your thing. I surrender to you, God. I pray that you would use me. Use the words that I have uh, to bless your house, to bless your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to preach a message today called A Boy, A Lunch, and A Lord. A boy, a lunch, and a Lord. And let me tell you, I know you're looking at me and you're going, well, I don't really know you. Well, let me tell you a little bit about me. Um, I pastor a church called Vibrant Church in Houston. Well, we're not really in Houston, but Houston is like an hour from Houston. So, you know, we're, we're, we're on the outside of Houston, but Houston's a big place uh, called the Woodlands, Texas. We have two campuses, the Woodlands and Montgomery. And, and we, uh, we launched in September of 2019. And uh, so let me tell you a little bit about me. The most important thing about me is this picture. They're going to throw up on the screen. It's a picture of my family right there. Come on, that's my beautiful wife, Carmen. Yeah, that's it. I know, I know, way out of my league. And so my oldest son, Ethan, uh, my middle son, Miles, and uh, we prophetically called him Wild Miles when he was a baby. And you can see, he is wild. Like that is... He, that's his spiritual gifting. And then our youngest son, Nolan, and yes, that is a mullet, and it's super awesome. And so uh, <laughs> it's my wife's ideal. But those, those are, that's my family, the most important people in the entire world to me. I love them very, very much. And, uh, and tell me, I'll tell you a little bit about me. I'm originally from Louisiana. I got to Texas just as quickly as I could. I am a huge cowboy fan. Anybody cowboy fans? Come on. Some saved folk in the house. This is our year. This is it. This is it. We've been saying it for the last 30, but this is the one, okay? This is it, all right? So we're just going to believe for it. So uh, I'm a worship leader. I'm a musician. But in fact, when my wife and I got married, uh, 
Uh, my wife said, I'm not marrying a pastor. We're never going to be lead pastors. What, what, when you say never, God says, <laughs> we'll, find, we'll find out. And so now, not only do we, uh, we're, we serve as lead pastors of Vibrant Church, but it's the church that we planted uh, that God allowed us to, to plant. And I'm honored that I get to share the word with you today. You know, this story that I read earlier, you probably have heard that story before. In fact, as I'm reading through it, you're probably like, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. I know, I know what you're talking about. Well, this story, what's interesting about this story is it was declared in all four Gospels. And so what that tells me is you can't know about the character of Jesus or who Jesus is. You can't know about the heart of Jesus without knowing this particular encounter. You can't know this. It's one of the, you can't know who he is without knowing about this miracle. It's one of the most uh, recognized miracles performed by Jesus. It's in all four Gospels. We've read it, and there's so much that we can learn from that. So I'm going to take you into my journal a little bit today, and I want to share with you four things that we can learn from a boy, a lunch, and a Lord. Y'all want to preach with me? All right, so I just got to tell you, I preach better, and I preach quicker when y'all preach with me. So I know you're trying to beat the Lutherans to Lubies, but we got, hey, if y'all will preach with me, you'll get there before you know it. Amen? So let's practice. We'll say amen. amen. Say oh me. oh me. Say take me to Applebee's. Amen. All right, that's it. All right, all right. We're going to preach. Let me give you four things that you can learn from a boy, a lunch, and a Lord. Number one is that Jesus makes room. Jesus makes room. You know, in this instance, uh, in this story, this experience, uh, there, were, uh, there were two different groups of people. You had the crowds and you had the disciples. These were two different groups of people. The crowds were following Jesus where he went. They were following Jesus, but the disciples were following Jesus as well. But this was two different, completely different types of following when it came to, came to the pursuit of Jesus. See, the crowds, they followed Jesus on a whim. They heard about what Jesus was doing and they said, I want to go to that. I want to show up and see that. You know, there was these things a, a few years ago that were incredibly annoying, uh, to me at least. Uh, but y'all remember flash mobs? Y'all remember those, right, a few years ago? You'd be walking through the mall just trying to do your Christmas shopping, and all of a sudden, 30 people just start dancing in the food court. I'm like, listen, I have no interest in doing anything of what y'all are doing right now. I need you to get up out of my way so I can get my stuff from Macy's and go to the house, because I don't want to be here anyway, right you know what I'm saying? Right? This was a biblical flash mob. They heard about the things that Jesus was doing. They said, I want to be a part of that. They showed up because of what Jesus could offer them, what Jesus could give them. They knew that Jesus could give them healing because they had seen it. They knew that Jesus could give them deliverance because they had seen it. They knew that Jesus could give them provision because they had seen it. Some of them had even seen Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine. And some of them wanted to <laughs> hit that up. Come on, somebody, right? They were just, they wanted to show up for whatever Jesus could do for them. What could Jesus do for me? Well, the disciples had a completely different motivation. The disciples showed up to be students of Jesus. They didn't just show up, but they were committed to grow up. They were committed to lean in and to learn what Jesus had to say and to learn what Jesus had as far as a plan 
for their life. But not only that, they were committed to show up, to grow up, and to go out and do likewise. It was something special. There was a difference between these groups of people. In fact, you know, that we learned in this, this encounter that they had just returned from being sent on their own to heal and to, to deliver as his apprentices. It was kind of their first opportunity to live out what Jesus had been teaching. And uh, those of you that have done ministry before, you know what ministry is like. And you're praying for people and you're involved in people's lives and, and all of that. Ministry can be heavy. Uh, those of you that serve on Sundays and, and you're, you're serving a ton of people. And I love to see the house full like it is today. And, and I love that. That's awesome. But you go home on Sunday afternoon and there is no rest like a Sunday nap rest. Come on somebody, right? That is a blessing from God, okay? It's just like fill the cup back up. Well, these disciples came back from this missionary journey, essentially, and they're, they're experiencing healing and deliverance all around them. And can you imagine they come back and they're weary, and they're a little worn out, and they're looking for a little rest, and they show up and there's these crowds around Jesus. And the first thing Jesus is, like, they see the crowds, and Jesus is like, oh yeah, yeah, I know they're hungry, don't send them anywhere, I need you to feed them. And the, the disciples are like, man, Jesus, can you just give me, like, one thing to do normal? Like, one normal thing. Like, one thing that's not crazy, okay? Can you give me one thing? And these disciples are going, man, I can't, I can't really go beyond. I, I, don't, I don't know how to feed these people. There was a difference in the, the type of people that showed up that day. The crowds and the disciples. See, these disciples were leaning into the voice of Jesus, not just to be in the number, but to be involved as a leader. There was something different. The disciples followed based not on what Jesus could do for them, but they followed based off of what Jesus would do through them for someone else. It's a different motivation. It's a different energy. It's a different reason to show up. I think it begs a question that we ask all, we should all ask ourselves today. Am I a part of the crowd or am I a disciple? Am I a part of the crowd or am I a disciple? I, you know, I imagine that in this room we probably have both if we're honest. You know, I'm, hey, listen, I, I, I came to the, the 11 o'clock service because it was like 30 degrees. Y'all did not warn me it was going to be this cold before I came up here. I'm not used to this, right? But, you know, today is as good of a day as any, and I guess I'll come to church or, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, I don't have anything else going on today. There's no birthday parties. I'll, I'll come to church today. Or, or maybe your motivation in coming to church was, man, I, I got to get, I need a touch from Jesus today. I need a touch from heaven, and I showed up to church today. Or maybe your motivation is, hey, listen, I've had my kids all week, and I'm looking for a one-hour break from my kids and I get to worship Jesus, so I'm going to show up to church today, okay? And there's no judgment in that. Come on, somebody, there's no judgment in that. Because our kids' ministry is awesome. Love that. But there is a different level of commitment to following Jesus than being his disciple. See, the disciples showed up. They said, I'm not here just for what it's going to give me. I'm here. I am committed. I am all in. 
You know, Pastor Jerry, you and I have been across the world in, in Sri Lanka where we saw people that would literally gave their entire livelihoods, stepped away from families, literally physical harm on their bodies, only be, so they could call Jesus Lord. Only so they could be known as a disciple of Jesus. In our Americanized culture, we have normalized being a part of the crowd when Jesus is calling us to be a disciple. We have normalized the, com the, the comfort of being a part of the crowd when Jesus is calling us to be a disciple. What I'm telling you is that Jesus has more for you than where you're at today. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus is if you showed up a part of the crowd today, that's awesome and that's beautiful. And I'm so thankful that you're at church because church is a chance. And that's beautiful. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that he made room for both the crowd and the disciples. When Jesus, if anybody had a right to condemn them and call them selfish, to call them sign-seeking, to call them prideful, Jesus could have done that. But instead of that, he led with compassion and called them his, he decided to be the Savior. He called them his family and stepped in and said, no, don't send them away. Feed them. Put them at my table. Here's the deal. Jesus is great that you're a part of the crowd right now. That you came in as part of the crowd. You came in not even knowing who Jesus is. Just hearing that, man, I know that miracles happen in that house. That's beautiful that you're here for that. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. There's something greater. There's something bigger than being a part of the crowd. Discipleship, it's something bigger. There's something more. That The beauty of Jesus is that he accepts everybody. He brings everybody in. But he challenges us to take a next step from where we're at today. There is something more than where I'm at today. I need to step into more of his spirit. More of his calling. More of his abundance in my life. See, church is the only place where prostitutes and CEOs will sit on the exact same row. It's the only place in the entire world. Church is the only place where black people and white people can be in the same room and say, my identity doesn't come from my skin color, but it comes from the God of heaven who designed me and created me. Church is the only place where boomers and Gen Zers can sit on the same row, join hands and say, I am together in unity for the calling and the kingdom of God. But that doesn't happen unless we get a disciple mentality and get rid of the crowd mentality. This little redneck preacher from Texas has come all the way up here to challenge you, to tell you there's more for your life. You want all that God has for this church? Let me just tell you, God's ready to pour it out, but he's ready for you to take a next step and get involved in it. It's time. I'm preaching with some folks today that you've been coming to believers for months and you say, well, this is going to be my church. That's great. It's time to go through growth track and get discipled and jump on a team because there is a U-shaped hole on the team. There's a U-shaped hole. 
Not only do, does the team need you, you need the team. You need people. You need people to do life with. That's how you're discipled. That's how you grow. That's how you reach your complete potential and capacity as a Christian, as a leader, as a disciple. But the question is, are you too comfortable sitting in the crowd when Jesus is calling you to be a disciple? Let me give you the second thing I learned from this is that Jesus has a plan. A plan. You know, I'm not a very good planner, right? I'm kind of like the, the fly by to the, the seat of the pants guy sometimes. And anybody like that in the house? Okay, anybody? Okay, cool. It's most likely true that you, th- those of you that are like me, you married a planner, Right? Because if not, your life would be absolute chaos. <laughs> and so that is exactly what it is for me. You know, uh, Jesus, let me tell you, Jesus is a planner. Jesus is a planner in your life. Even when you feel like the plan is not working, he's a planner. Let me show you this, verse 6. This is John's um, version of this particular experience. In verse 6 of, of that, he says, um, he said this to test him for he knew himself what he would do. Essentially, he told them, go, go get some food for these people because they're hungry. Well, there's no food. He asked the question knowing the answer already. He asked the question knowing the answer already. See, Jesus, Jesus, he's not bothered by plans that don't seem like they're working to you. Well, it doesn't, God, you're not working it like I want you to work it. That's not, the, that's not the, the plan here. The plan is not your iCal. The plan comes from heaven. Jesus doesn't forget or get things out of order. We see part of God's divine character is planning from the exact beginning of Genesis. From the beginning, we see him, uh, the blueprint that he gave to Noah for the ark. Planning. It's evident in the instructions to Moses with the Ark of the Covenant and then the the tabernacle and then Joshua and David, so many others on how to strategize for war. Solomon on on building the temple and, and, and Jesus, even as he's walking to the cross, he's a planner. From battle plans to blueprints for salvation for you and I. It's all throughout Scripture. God has a plan. But for some, we can recognize that all through Scripture, God has a plan. For, but for so many of us, in 2023, we feel like God just forgot to plan this far. We feel like, yeah, you know, he planned through, the, you know, the resurrection of Jesus. And, and then after that, it was just kind of, whoop, this is the end. We'll kind of figure it out from here. Let me just tell you, Jesus isn't figuring it out from here. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're going. He knows what you're supposed to be doing. The God of heaven loves you and has planned for you and has ordained for you. You better step into that plan. Even when you feel like it's a mess, it's in God's plan. Step into it. Trust him. Let me tell you, 2017, 2017, I felt like I had life all figured out. I was serving at a church that I loved. I had planned to stay there. It was awesome. I felt like life was cool. It was fantastic, okay? We had just had our first child. He was, he was awesome. We weren't sleeping. It was, we were trying to figure out life, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and so 2017, a hurricane, uh, hurricane Harvey happens. And if you're familiar with that, what happened is Hurricane Harvey just sat over the Houston, the entire southeast Texas, and just like rained for a week straight, just hurricane, just like got water from the Gulf and dumped it on us. 
Well, my home flooded in Harvey. I'd had five and a half foot of water in my living room, okay? I watched all my kids' toys float down the river. I watched it, okay? Watched it flow down Village Creek Parkway. And, and so at that point, I was like, God, what, this is a mess. What are you doing? What's going on? What is happening? And my pastor told me in the middle of it, he said, hey, Michael, you better trust him. I guarantee you he's going to bring back everything you had plus if you trust him in it. You trust him. Now, we can clap about it now, but in the time, 32-year-old me was like, Pastor, that sounds great, but do you just see, like my kids, I don't have a bed to sleep in. Can I tell you that all throughout that, where I felt like I had a plan in the middle of it, God's plan was better than my plan. It took God moving me out from where I was, a comfortable place, a good place, a holy place, a healthy place. God moved me out of there to something bigger. And just a few years later, we planted Vibrant Church. And now we're pastoring this great, thriving, life-giving, spirit-filled church. And that would have never have happened if something didn't spur me out. But I had to trust his plan in the middle of my mess. I'm telling you, it may look like a mess, but trust his plan. Your relationships may look like a mess, but trust his plan. Your job situation may look like a mess, but you better trust his plan. Your finances may look like a mess, but you better keep tithing and trust his plan because God will always provide. Anybody seen a provisional God? Come on now. Trust his plan. I'm telling you, if you trust his plan, he will always show up and he will exceed the expectation that you even had. I'm a living witness of this. I have seen this happen. If you don't believe God has a plan for your life, you just need to look around at at any Christian coffee mug, at any coffee shop, right? Jeremiah 29 and 11 Right? It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, plans to give you a hope and a future. That all sounds nice, but can I tell you the context of that scripture was not nice. The context of what was going on around them was not nice. I was sent all the way from Houston to encourage somebody that your context is not nice right now. Your situation is not great right now, but I'm telling you, the God of heaven has a plan to work it for your good. You better trust him in the middle of it. He has a plan. You better. Through those sleepless nights and teary days, you better trust him. Every day, get up and say, God, I know it doesn't look good right now, but I trust you. You're going to work. I I know I should move on, but I feel like I'm supposed to stay here for somebody. I feel like I'm supposed to stay here in somebody's life. I know my kid's situation is not great right now, but hey, I'm going to trust you, God. You're working something in their life. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to keep living for you. I know that my my time situation, my calling, my purpose, it doesn't look great. I'm going to keep trusting you with what I have. I'm going to keep trusting you with who I am. I'm going to trust you because you've got a plan. You can trust him even when you can't track him. Even when you don't know what he's doing. You know, one of the greatest inventions in history in the iPhone is that location services. Right? Because my wife always be saying she's on time, but she's like, not that. You know what I'm saying? Right? 
you can trust God even when you can't track him. When you don't know where he's at in the plan, you can trust he's going to show up just on time. He's going to show up right on time, and it's going to blow your mind. Number three is that Jesus is a provider. Let me show you. This is John's account of this experience. Let me show this to you. In verse 5, when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, how the people sit down? There's plenty of grass in that place when they sat down. There were about 5,000 men there. Give you a little context. That would work out to be about 20,000 people because of the women and the children. So Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. They were full. They were satisfied as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. You know, the crux of the passage here is that Jesus had been teaching and the church people had been getting hungry, right? And being hungry because that's what church people do. We go to church and then we eat. Amen? That's what we do. And, and so, and, and now we got a problem though. We got a problem because all these church people are hungry and the disciples show up and they're like, well, I guess we need to send them away. Like because they're in a remote area, the Bible says. I used to live in a town in Mississippi where the only restaurant was a restaurant called Southern Fried Rabbit. True story, right? I lived there three years and did not eat rabbit one time. I would try, like, I'm just not going to do it. I just, against my religion. I don't know what it is. But, uh, but like, these people, these disciples were in a remote area. And so they're going, there's no, there's no food around here. There's no inn for people to stay. There's no hotel, right, that we need to send them away so they can. They're thinking practically, how are we going to bless these people, right? We don't have enough money for lunch. We don't have enough food for these people. Practically, what are we going to do? The disciples are doing that. They're taking that into account. They're sending, they're saying, well, we can send them to the surrounding villages. There there's food. There there's a hotel. There's housing, whatever. And they're thinking about the needs of the people. You know, let me encourage you today. What Jesus, what's important to Jesus is not always what's practical in your life. Most of the time what's important to Jesus is what's supernatural in your life. Too many of us are believing for a practical miracle when what Jesus wants to give you is a supernatural miracle. You limit the miracle that Jesus can do in your life by your faith. Or you can believe for more and, and step into a life of abundance instead of a life of practical. Well, I'm just going to have enough because this is what I know. I want to believe for more than enough. More than enough. A supernatural God. You know, when we planted the church... Uh, my wife and I, we, we um, moved to an area, didn't know anybody, okay? Uh, we moved, had a bunch of people call them and said, hey, you want to move here and like sell your house and, and move your family and plant a church? And, and a bunch of people like said yes. We were blown away. Like 16 people helped us. And we started building a team and we were getting ready for launch and this church. And, and, uh, and we were planning on being a portable church, a portable church in a uh, junior high, smelling like chicken nuggets and Cheetos. Come on now, right? And, and, uh, and so we were ready. We're buying gear. We're getting all ready. Well, then, uh, can I tell you? Jesus had a plan to provide right in the middle of that that I didn't even know about at that time. 
in the middle of one of our, dream, our, our team nights, uh, this guy comes to our team, and I get a call, and, and he's the CEO of an oil and gas company. He says, hey, I, I want to meet you for breakfast. I want to talk about something. Well, can you meet? Sure, I'll go. Uh, I'll show up. I showed up, and he said, <laughs> he said I want to help you. I said, that sounds great. What do you want to help me with? He said, I found a permanent location for you guys. It's a lease space, about 6,500 square feet. The build-out cost is about $250,000. I'm going to cover that for you. All you got to do is install your gear and show up and plant your church. And because of that, 232 people showed up on launch day, and many people were saved. Many people were baptized. Many people experienced the Holy Ghost for the first time. Can I tell you? I'm here to tell somebody that it doesn't look like the provider has shown up yet. Get ready. He's going to show up. Keep trusting his plan. Get ready. He's never, never not showed up. Never not showed up. Jesus tells them, you know, this supernatural God that we serve, he's so far beyond our mind that what we do is we try to operate within our own concepts, precepts, abilities. Well, this is what I can do so God can operate within this. Some of y'all need to expand your margin because his margins are bigger than yours. Stop believing for just what you are able to do. Believe for something. Not only am I going to believe for uh, for this, but I'm going to believe for abundance. I'm just not going to believe to live through life. I'm going to believe to thrive through life. Because my God is a provider. There's this story. This this boy had two barley loaves, right? Or five barley loaves and two fish. Five barley loaves and two fish. And um, they asked, what is, this? what is this for so many? What is this for so many people? Uh, you know, when you were growing up as a kid, how many of y'all used to bring your lunch to school? You brought your lunch? Okay, you brought it from home. We just identified all the cool kids in the house, right? Those were you. I was not that. Um, I was the guy that ate the school lunch. I was like, uh, I ate the rectangle uh, pizza. You know what I'm saying? Um, and they scooped up some mashed potato grits. I didn't know what it was. I knew it was salty and it tasted good. And something that resembled green beans and, uh, you know, some milk in a carton that might or might not have been good. We're not going to test it. We're just, just going to drink it and have faith. Amen. Just drink it, right? Um, you know, this boy's lunch was a little bit like that. It was this, this barley loaf. If you do research on the, what the barley loaf it was at that time, that barley loaf was not great quality bread, okay? This is not going to the deli and getting the best kind of bread here. This barley loaf was, it was the cheapest, worst tasting bread that they had. It was not great bread. And the fish, um, you're thinking fish. Oh, he's got two fish. You're thinking like, oh, this is like salmon. Like, man, he slapped that thing on a grill. No, this is not that. We're talking about like sardines. Okay? Yeah, exactly. That, like, so we're talking about not good tasting bread, like crunchy crouton bread and two sardines. And Jesus is saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to use. Can you imagine everybody around them is saying, man, I, that is Jesus. I know you've done some cool stuff. This seems a little far-fetched. This seems like it's a little expanding the territory here. It's, it's a little bit bigger than I think, right? It, you know, it's easy to think what we've been given and see what we've been given and think that it's not enough or feel like we don't have enough to offer. You know, in life, making a difference has less to do with what you have and more to do with what you're willing to do with what you do have. 
What is in your hand? What is in your lunchbox? I don't imagine that that little boy was the only one that packed a lunch that day. And amongst those thousands of people, I imagine that there were other little boys that packed lunches and little girls that packed lunches. He could have looked at his surroundings and excused his way out of giving because perhaps others had more or even better options. But in those thousands of people, that one boy was the only one willing to open up his lunchbox. He was the only one willing to open up his lunchbox. And that lunch left a legacy. Church, what are you holding back from God in your lunchbox? Because you feel like, well, this isn't good enough. I'm not as good as I should be. Well, I'm saved, but my life isn't perfect. So I don't feel like I have very much to offer. Or I can't sing like this worship team and play like, man, they about set the stage on fire. They were so good earlier, right? Just awesome. Awesome. Y'all are blessed. Blessed. I can't, I can't do. Well, well let, me, let me ask you, what is in your lunchbox that you have to offer God that you're holding back from him? Because you can't experience a 12 baskets full blessing while you're holding a five barley loaf and two fish lunch and holding it back from God. You can't do it. You've got to be, at some point, you've got to be willing to open up your lunchbox and go, God, whatever is in my lunchbox, it's yours. Whatever is in my lunchbox, it's yours. My gifts, my talents, I may not be able to sing like these people up here because they're, they're awesome. But what I can do is I can hold a baby in a nursery because that mama needs salvation. That mama needs a little hope. I may not be able to preach a message that could impact thousands, but I can mentor a teenager that needs somebody to step into their life and give them a little hope and show them that there is a purpose and a design and a destiny and a calling for their life. You're looking at somebody that was raised in a single-parent home. I'm not a PK. I came from a military background, okay? I came from a background where I attended a, a Protestant service home base where they'd hit you with a ruler if you moved. And then we went, I went to a Pentecostal church where they'd hit you with a ruler if I didn't move. You know what I'm saying? Right? I didn't know what up was from down, but I had a mentor that stepped into my life and said, Michael, there's something more for you. There's something more for you. What are you holding back in your lunchbox, church? For this church to be able to experience revival, it's going to require all of us to open up our lunchbox and go, God, what I have is yours. I'm ready to offer it. I'm ready to give it. I surrender. I'm going to join a team. I'm going to lead a group. I'm going to join a group. I'm going to mentor people. I'm going to step in and be a catalyst of revival. Too much, too, too much of our capacity is left on the table because we look around and see what everybody else is doing and we think, man, I'm not good enough to get to that level. Comparison is the quiet killer of spiritual opportunity. The anecdote to this poison in your life is it, it's, it's true and it's sure. It's thankfulness and it's celebration. It's, you need to truly have gratitude for what God has given you. You want a 12 baskets full blessing? Thank God for what he's given you. Open your lunchbox. God, thank you so much for this. Gratitude for it. But then have gratitude for what God is doing in other people. 
thankfulness. God, I thank you that they are way more talented than I am. I thank you that they have to do their part and I do my part. And together we get to be a part of a revival church that they're putting out chairs for on a Sunday morning because they can't even keep enough room. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's what it's supposed to be. See, both Philip and Andrew, both of these, these guys were doing math when it came down to this. Philip was going 5,000 people plus no food plus no money equals, uh-oh, we're in trouble. We're in danger, okay? But Andrew's math was, I got 5,000 people plus no food plus money plus no money plus Jesus is here. I think we're going to be all right. I think we're going to be all right. Some of y'all have been doing some math inside of you, and you've been saying, man, I think I'm in danger. But Jesus is showing up in your life. You're all right. You keep getting in his presence. You're going to be all right. Being willing to open your lunchbox. Being willing is the precursor to greatness in God. Precursor to greatness. Being willing to open your box. For some of you, you just need to make a next step. I'm encouraging you right now. You've been a part of the crowd for too long. You've been a part of the crowd. And Jesus has more for you. And, 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 and he wants to pour out this cup of blessing on you. But he can't pour the blessing in a box that's closed. He's not going to give you 12 baskets full blessing if you're not generous with what God has given you. With your time, with your talent, with your treasure, with your life, with your, with your love, with showing people that, hey, God has changed my life. I showed up to the church and I was broken and my marriage was broken and God healed my marriage. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Now reflect that and lead into somebody else that just walked in that is, has the same kind of tears that you had in your eyes. Musicians come, I'm closing. Number four, my fourth point today is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In verse 14 and 15 of John's account here of this, it says, After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they, say, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again. To a mountain by himself. Now, this is very interesting to me. Uh, that word prophet is capitalized. Uh, one youth pastor preached it like this. He said um, uh, that, that Jesus was the original Master P. Uh, and so, you 90s kids get that. Everybody else is like, what? Right? Okay, right? And so, I didn't say it. They said it. Be mad at them. Right? And, and so, but Jesus, it was, it was prophesied that there would be a new Moses. And, and, but Jesus, he would not just be a king, but he would be the Messiah and, the, you know, Jesus was him. And the, they were putting together all of these past prophecies. And they recognized that he was going to be the king. He's the king. So why did Jesus, understanding the prophecies, knowing the prophecies, why did he take the time to withdraw? When they were about to put him in as king, why did he withdraw? It's because they had the right titles, but the wrong understanding. The right title of who he was supposed to be, but the wrong understanding of really who he was supposed to be in, in their life. See, to them, he was just Jesus, but what he was supposed to be was Lord. Now, when we put Jesus as Lord on the screen, I know what your thought was. You're thinking, man, this redneck pastor, about five, nine and a half, came up here and preached. came all the way to tell me what I already knew. Jesus is Lord. Duh, we're in church. Duh. 
You've got to be a genius for that one, right? But the truth is, many of us have been singing the songs, Lord, give me Jesus. You can have this whole world. But we've been, we, we sing that on Sunday, but we live our life without the lordship of Jesus the rest of the week. We call him Lord on Sunday, but we've denied the lordship the rest of our life. Jesus, you're Lord of my life. The, the, the whole world doesn't mean anything. Is that truly what you mean? I think what happens is many times we miss out on what that word Lord actually means, is supposed to mean to us. My wife, my beautiful wife, Carmen, she's awesome. And she is the, she's the glue that keeps our family and our church together. She's awesome, and I love her. But when we were dating, she was the first one to say, I love you. And um, because obviously I'm so dashingly good looking, right? That was what it was. You can laugh. It's a joke. It's okay. It's all right. No, but she said, I love you. And single fellas, I'm going to help you. Don't do what I did in this situation. Um, when my wife said, I love you, she looked me in my eye and said, Michael, I love you. I looked at her with eye to eye and I said, Carmen, do you know what that means? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was, that was, that's the exact thought that she had too. Now, thank God that Jesus and Carmen have grace because like, Lord, she didn't dump me to the curb right there. But my thought was, man, that's a heavy word. There's a lot that goes into that. What do you mean? You love me? Man, that's, that's a little dangerous. Like, like, this is getting serious, you know? This is, this is going to require some commitment. It's going to require me to say yes to you. It means I'm going to have to say no to hanging out with my boys some. You know what I'm saying? This means we, if we love, like, we love each other. Like, that's a, that's a big word. But too many times we'll come in on a Sunday and we'll say, Jesus, you are my Lord. But then we'll go out and live on Tuesday like you ain't never met Jesus in our life. When we spend our quiet time and Jesus is calling us to more, we go, oh, no, 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 that's that, no, no, not, not there, God. Nope. Don't, don't say those words. Well, God, you want me to join the dream team? You call me to do something? I want you to imagine for a minute, like the most like deep end of situations, okay? I want you to imagine, like you're in your quiet time with God, and God calls you and says, hey, I want you to sell everything you own, I want you to give it to the poor, and I want you to go to Pakistan to be a minister, uh, missionary. Now, whatever your reaction was right there is a test on the lordship of Jesus in your life. The truth is, is for most of us, God's not going to call us to sell everything we own, give it to the poor, and be a missionary in Pakistan. That's probably not going to happen. But what Jesus is going to do, he's going to call you to, do, to, to live out an uncomfortable next step. And it's going to test the lordship of your life. If he's truly Lord, if he's truly Lord in your life, church, listen to me. If he's truly Lord, he can call you and tell you to do just near about anything. And we say... Okay, God, I'm all in. I know that you're going to show up in front. You're going to go, like, I, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know that you're going to show up. I know that you have a plan, and I know that you're going to provide, and I know that you're going to bless, and I know that you're going to bring favor, and I don't see it yet, but I'm right now in this moment, I'm going to surrender to you because you are the Lord of my life. 
Is he just Jesus or is the, is he the Lord of your life? If he's the Lord of your life, he's going to call you to make a next step. For some of you, that next step is simply giving your life to Jesus, repenting of your sin, turning away from your yesterdays and giving your life to Jesus, honestly repenting. If you're saved and you gave your life to Jesus, that's awesome. The Lord's going to call you to a next step to be water baptized. You need to be water baptized in the beautiful name of Jesus. You need it. You need it. Well, I'm saved. I'm baptized. Man, this church is awesome. The Lord's going to call you to be a part of it. Because you weren't made to be a consumer. You were made to be a disciple. Well, I've been a part of the dream team for a long time. And I don't, man, I don't know what's next for me. You better lean into the Lord because he's calling you to lead other people. To bring along, hey, come on, come on, come with me. We're going to do something special together. Come on, come do what I do. Come on, come on. Hey, hey, the reason some of these singers up here on the stage right now, look, because somebody brought them along and said, come, you're going to do this with me. Come on, you're going to do this with me. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna love Jesus. We're going to learn together. We're going to decide. Because being a part of the crowd doesn't speak lordship. Being a disciple says, God, all that I have, all that I am is yours. Would you stand across this house? And I wish you'd throw your hands up in the air as high as you can get them. Right now, some of you need to make some lordship steps. I don't know what that looks like for you. For some of you, you need to repent of your sins and pray an honest prayer of repentance. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from the addictions that have you bound. Turn away from the stuff that has locked you up in an invisible prison. You need to turn away from that stuff. For some of you, that next step is going, okay, God, I've been playing it for a while. I've been playing church, but now I'm ready. Now it's time. I need to go all in. I need to go all in. For some of you, you need to step out from your seat, and you need to come to this altar, and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time in your life. With the evidence of speaking in tongues, for some of you, you need to step out and let the Lord move you and change you and shake you and change your life. Is He truly the Lord? Begin to declare the Lordship in your life right now. God, I give everything to you. I give all that I am to you. I surrender to the Lordship of, my, of, your, of you in my life, God. I surrender my family. I surrender my gifts. I surrender my talents. Come on, church, right now. Lift your voice of praise. Lift your instrument of praise. And begin to make that next step. Make that next step. Tell him, Jesus, I need all that you have for me. In Jesus' name.